Romans chapter 3. I hope you have a Bible with you today. Romans chapter 3. I've entitled this today, Living in a World of Rebels. Living in a World of Rebels. And that is exactly where we find ourselves as we look at our society and look at the world in which we live. Things are reaching the point of, uh, I think, explosion as far as people getting along with each other. We can't seem to do that any longer. We don't get along with each other. You know, people say, well, you, you Christians, you're the most intolerant people on the planet. Actually, we're the most tolerant people on the planet. Yes, it's true that we believe the way of Jesus is the only right way. It is true. But you know, that same Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He said that. That's pretty narrow also said this, that we need to love one another. We even are to love our enemies. We're not to do harm to people. And if they have differing ideas, we can differ on our ideas, but I should still treat you as a human being with respect. And I should not want to get rid of you or censor you or, or, uh, or kill you, as is going on many times today. It's amazing how the world is turned upside down, isn't it? Now, we have been in Romans chapter 1. We went to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 1 started spelling out very clearly the rebellion of man and where we find ourselves as a society. As society turns us back on God, we see the deterioration of society. Everything starts falling apart. All kinds of perversion, both morally and every other way, theologically and in thinking, it all falls apart. It all starts disintegrating. And then we got into chapter two, dealing with people who are religious, but unfortunately they are self-righteous. In other words, they look to themselves as a standard, all right? They're quick to point out the faults of others, and yet they don't really ever talk about their own faults, okay? Or if they do, it's always in comparison with somebody they consider worse than themselves, which really is not owning up to the fault at all, really, when you think about it. And then here in chapter 3, we again are talking about this issue of the religious. And um, I think Paul starts with something very profound in chapter 3, verse 1. Notice it says, what advantage then hath the Jew? Now remember, he was a Jew. He was raised a Jew. He knew what he was talking about. He, he was a Pharisee. He understood Judaism. And all that comes with that. And by the way, that continues to resurface all the way through the book of Romans. But he says, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision, which is a mark of Judaism? Now, this is interesting because most of us here today, I, I would say all of us, if not the vast majority of us, are Gentiles. We're not Jewish people. We have any Jewish people here today? All right. And so this to you, you read that and you say, I thought the Jews were forgotten. Well, no, they're, they're not forgotten. They're not forgotten. Well, they're not important anymore. No, they're very important. Okay. As a matter of fact, we see so much of what's happening in the world today is centered on the nation of Israel and the Jewish people and people coming back to the nation of Israel. By the way, that is one of the signs of the last days that we know that we're in it. But it says this, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Paul says much, every way, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The oracles of God refers to the sayings of God, the word of God, or the words of God. 
And so let's look at some points from this passage today. The first is this. The Jews are the chosen people of God. Let me declare it today. The Jews are the chosen people of God. All right? People who who think that the Jews have been forsaken by God are wrong. People who think that the church has replaced Israel are wrong. Okay? The Jews still are have a profound place in the plan of God. And uh, any church or religion that teaches that God is done with the Jew, you ought to just get out of there because they're totally wrong. As a matter of fact, that kind of thinking oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes leads to what we call anti-Semitism, which is a persecution of the Jews and a mistreatment of the Jews. No, the Jews are the chosen people of God. This has never changed. God made an unconditional, everlasting covenant with the Jewish people. The land of Israel, by the way, belongs to them by decree of God Almighty. And all you need to do, if you're wondering where that is, Genesis chapter 17, verses 7, and then uh, verses 19 through 21, and it's other places all the way through the text, but that is the kind of like the heart and soul where it's very, very clear in the scripture. The land belongs to Israel. You might say, well, they came in, the Palestinians were there. No. Number one, there were no such people labeled the Palestinians. Okay? That's been made up, and anybody who really, truly is honest with world history knows that. That property, that land belongs to the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, folks, the truth is just the opposite of what's being told today. Okay? It's the land belongs to them, and they are being kind and gracious of letting other people in. And by the way, nobody helps the Palestinian quote-unquote people more than the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel. That's the truth of it. So the Jews are the chosen people of God. Always were, always will be. Number two, you notice in verse two, they were given the word of God containing the perfect answers to man's problems. Now this is very key as we continue on here in chapter three. No one else had this tremendous blessing. Imagine it. God says, okay, I'm giving my written word to the world. Okay, Lord, who are you going to give it to? I'm going to entrust it into the hands of the Jewish people. And they're going to have a responsibility of not only getting the word to the nations, but living the word to the nations by example, okay? No one one else has had this tremendous blessing. It would be like us, those of us who are Americans, going to a foreign land that doesn't have a Bible, and we're going there and we're saying, okay, you know what, I am bringing you the word of God. I'm bringing your nation the word of God And so we are going to give it to you and we're going to teach it to you. But you know what, folks? If we are claiming it to be the word of God, now listen, this is Romans 3 stuff. If we are claiming it the word of God, then people are saying, oh, okay, so then you're claiming it to be the word of God, you're God's representatives. Therefore, what we're going to do is look to you as the example of what the word says. If it is, in fact, the word of God and it is that important, then we not only want you to give it to us, we want you to show it to us. Sound familiar? It's always been the challenge to God's people, by the way. It's always been the challenge. The minute we open our mouth and say, I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, 
We have basically identified ourselves and called ourselves out as an example to the world. And the world is looking at us. And the world is watching us. And they're saying, okay, you claim that you're, you're Christian, you believe in Jesus Christ the Savior, that it's the way, the truth, and the life. So let me see the difference he makes in your life. Now, I love the Jew, but let me tell you this. The nation of Israel has fallen flat on their faces in this area. They were to be witnesses to the world with the truth of God. They were to take the word of God to the nations of the world. And instead, what did they do? They rebelled towards God. The nation of Israel has a history of rebellion. That's not just world history, that's Bible history, the absolute truth. You read the Old Testament, and they have been a terrible example of being children of God. They were given the word of God, which contained the perfect answers to man's problems, okay? This is a great privilege, but with the great privilege comes also great responsibility. And this was their responsibility, and today it is the church's responsibility, which, by the way, the church, not... When I say the church is not the building and it's not a denomination, the church is everybody born again who, through faith in Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, today in this age in which we live, this dispensation of grace, anybody, Jew or Gentile, who comes to faith in Jesus Christ becomes part of the church, the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Does that mean a Jew is no longer a Jew? No, he's a Jew by heritage. But he's a child of God, as is the Gentile who puts their faith in Christ. But again, to whom much is given, much is required. Much was given to the Jews. Much has been required by the Jews. But what did they do? They crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. And it wasn't just them, it was Rome. And it wasn't just Rome, it was you and me. And by the way, Jesus laid down his life willingly you know, if he, if he would have wanted to say, hey, you're not crucifying me, I'll just wipe you out. He could have done that. He was God in the flesh. But he chose not to. He knew his mission was to go to the cross to purchase for us eternal salvation. Verse three. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? In other words, the faith that comes from God, the faith that we have, our beliefs, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Man is so arrogant, he takes the position of being the judge of God. Well, that's not going to work, friend. I hate to tell you, it's not going to work. And yet we have people today, many people today, who have taken that posture. You see, folks, whenever we approach this book and we start saying things like, well, I don't agree with that, you are taking the position of God. Well, I don't believe that. Well, that's not for me. Well, I disagree with that. Well, I've got a different opinion. You are taking the position of a God. Instead of us taking the word of God and what we ought to do is we ought to fall to our knees and say, God is speaking through the scriptures. I'm accountable to respond to it properly. This is the attitude that we should have. God forbid, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Which leads us to our third point. 
And it is this, and it's kind of a conclusion from these other verses. I want to give this to you. Listen carefully. Yes, the Jews are God's chosen people. Yes, God made an unconditional, everlasting covenant with the Jewish people. But there are some people that think this today. Okay, then, so then the Jewish people, they're going to heaven when they die. Not necessarily. While they are the chosen people of God, they do not have salvation outside of faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. He was talking to the religious Pharisees of the day, and they knew what he was saying. Literally there, the word he is not in the original, it was added. It is unless you believe that I am. Oh, they knew what that meant. That goes back to Exodus. I am that I am. Jesus was claiming to be God in the flesh. By the way, that is why they said it was blasphemy what he was saying because they didn't want to believe that he was the promised Messiah, God in the flesh. But here's the truth of it. Nobody gets to heaven unless you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh who's paid for sin and risen from the dead. It's only through Christ that you go to heaven. See, here's the truth. The Lord will still judge and have his way whether the Jews accepted what he said or not. And can I say, whether we accept it or not, God will have his way. Now, friend, listen. And I say this not only to those of us who are here in this room, those who may stream this, but I would love, I would love for this message to get to the ears of some atheists and some secularists and some people who do not believe in Christianity. I say, friend, and I say it in love. Let me say this. Let me say this. Your rejection of the Bible and Jesus Christ does not change your eternal destiny. Okay? God is not going away and neither are the scriptures. The truth of scripture is the truth of scripture. And if you do not respond to it by faith, you will be lost forever whether you believe in a lost forever or not. I'm just warning you. I'm pleading with you. See, to have an idea, a mentality of, well, you know what, I don't believe that, it doesn't do away with it. That's what we need to understand. People have the idea today that if they don't accept something, then that something goes away or it ceases to exist. I see it all the time with people. You go to the college campus, you talk to people over at the college campus. Oh, I don't believe that. Well, I don't believe in God. And the mentality is that takes care of him. That is how far we have gone away from God's way. Here's the truth as we are going to see as our text continues to unfold. There is none righteous, no, not one. We are living in a world of rebels today. We are so blind and so, so consumed in our rebellion, though, we don't even know we're rebelling towards God. It doesn't matter to us because we've been so brain-dirtied not brainwashed, brain dirtied. God is the one who washes, cleanses the mind. Verse five, I love that verse four. God forbid, yea, let God be true and every man a liar. And that's the truth of it right there. 
Verse 5, but if our unrighteousness command the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. In other words, here's the human reasoning going back and forth with Paul. Paul has kind of set up a conversation here, an imaginary conversation going on. If our sin highlights the righteousness of God, then isn't God unrighteous to judge me? Seeing the Lord's righteousness is being highlighted, Well, the answer to that, of course, is in verse 6. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? You see, if that was the case, then God could not judge the world, which he is just and right in doing and has said he will do in the future. There would be no judgment. But God is not bound by our puny intellect. See, what it does, folks, the idea of, well, listen, if my wicked living highlights the righteousness of God, God ought to be happy about it, and he shouldn't judge me for it because his righteousness is being highlighted then. We're we're advertising how gracious and how good God is, and so he shouldn't judge me for my sin. Hey, we've got twisted minds. We've got twisted minds. Speaking of perverse thinking, look at verse 7. For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? Do you see that? Well, wait, I'm a liar, but the truth of God says opposite. So you Christians and God, you you ought to be happy that I'm such a sinner. And as I sin, you ought to be happy because it highlights what the Bible says. Yeah, but you know, all of this is coming from a mind of unbelief. You're not believing right. And not rather as we be slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. By the way, did you know that's one of the accusations against our church? Are you people at Northland, you just believe you you trust Christ the Savior and then you can go do evil and it doesn't matter. It's okay to do that. Never have we said that. Ever. Ever since the beginning of the church. What do you know about that? I was here. <laughs> Never been said. Let me tell you, if anybody ever said, oh yeah, saved by grace and go live out and live in sin and that's okay with God and that just manifests his grace. Let me tell you something. If somebody ever said that, they would be called on the carpet so quickly it wouldn't be funny. That is contrary to the message of God. See, folks, the fact that the grace of God is bigger than our sin, and we'll get to that, especially when we get to chapter five, it should not make us sin more. It ought to make us sin less. That God would still be gracious to those of us who are wicked, carnal people, perverse in our sin nature. Let us do evil that good may come. There are Christians, by the way, who believe that. And I've run into an awful lot of them in Minnesota. Born again people who think their salvation is a license to sin. Okay? And they just, every time they sin, they just have a mentality of, well, it's under the blood, it's under the blood, it's under the blood. That's exactly what this is talking about. God says, listen, you deserve judgment. See this imaginary person talking to Paul is basically saying this. If my sin brings glory to the righteousness of God, then why should I suffer judgment? When it would seem that I'm helping to further the truth of God. 
This kind of thinking, folks, is twisted and it shows rebellion in the heart that anybody would even think that. They ought to be ashamed of themselves. But that's not where we find ourselves today. One commentator put it this way, quote, after all, if God is honored in judging my sin, then I am really doing him a favor by sinning. Instead of judging me, he should let me sin that he might be glorified all the more. He certainly is not righteous to judge me, unquote. A lot of people believe that. See, that kind of thinking deserves to be judged by God. And that is what Paul is saying in this passage, which leads us to the fourth truth. And it is this, God's truth and justice provides for no exceptions. All right? Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. By the way, can you imagine a person who has violated the law, who has sinned, and he's standing before the judge and he's, and he's arguing these kind of things in front of a human judge? He would be a nutcase. Verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jew and Gentiles that they are, next word, all under sin, all under sin. I want you to stop for just a second. Look at the person next to you. Look at the person next to you, okay? Guess what? They are a sinner and so are you. Welcome to the family of humanity. We are a bunch of sinners. We have perverse sin natures. We are rebels to God. Oh no, I'm not a rebel. I'm just a sinner. No, you're a rebel. So am I. We're rebels to God. And I dare say there's not a Christian in this room sometime or another when faced with sin, decided to go ahead and sin somewhere in the mind thinking, well, I know I can't ever be lost. I'm just going to do this anyway. So wrong. So wrong. See, Jews who are privileged, this is what verse 9 is saying, Jews who are privileged are no more obedient than lost Gentiles who do not know the word of God. And the Gentiles are no better than the Jews. We're all in the same boat. By the way, it's going down. Which leads us to our fifth point, and it is this. All mankind is guilty and lost, and that includes you and me. All mankind is guilty and lost, and that includes you and me. Now that's before you put your faith in Christ. But this is, listen, this is the catalyst to get a person saved. No one will ever get saved until they understand They accept the fact they're lost, that they can't get to heaven. That's why when we share the gospel, we are careful on how we explain the gospel. And I believe with all my heart, we need to get a person to understand their lostness before we get them to put their faith in Christ. Listen, I needed to understand when I was 19 years old, and I did, thank God for the man who explained it so clearly. We are sinners, we are lost. God requires perfection to get to heaven. Let me show it to you here. Look up here, look up here. This hand representing you and me and my wallet representing our sin. Here we are, we are all sinners. That's what we are seeing here in this passage. Yet God loves us, he hates our sin. Here's the truth, folks. To get to heaven, we have to be as righteous as God, sinless in the eyes of God. And there's not a one of us who is. There's none righteous, no, not one. We're just about to get there in verse 10. We're all sinners, And God says this sin has to be punished. 
the wages of sin is death. If I am going to pay for my sin, the only way I can do it, it is not through ordinances, it is not through sacraments, it is not through good works, it is not through giving money, it is not through reformation of life, trying to change my life, trying to clean up my life, getting baptized, none of that will pay for sin. Death is the only payment for sin. I would have to die physically and spend forever separated from God. But the beauty of the word of God tells me this. God loves me, does not want me to be lost. And he sent Jesus, this hand representing him, to die in my place, to pay the debt that I owe so I don't have to do that. That's how much God loves me. And Jesus came because we're sinners who can't save ourselves. And he came and he died on the cross and all the sin of our whole lifetime, he took it upon himself and he made that complete payment And he rose from the grave three days later. And he says, if you'll believe that I have paid, you trust in me that I have paid for all your sin, I'll give you that moment everlasting life. You become a child of God. All that sin is gone. Okay? It's gone. But if you think you can earn it, you're taking the responsibility for the payment of your sin upon yourself. Well, I got news for you. Your good works aren't going to do it. It's death and hell. That's why Jesus came, because he doesn't want you to go there. And when you trust him as Savior, he gives you everlasting life. The payment he made is good on your behalf. You go to heaven, and you're saved forever. He gives you everlasting life. So, number five, all mankind is guilty and lost, and that includes you and me. Look at verse 10. As it is written, there is none, keyword, there is none righteous, no, not one. Not one, not one. I know this may offend some. I don't mean it to offend, but just let me drive it home. The Pope is not righteous. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's not a religious leader in this world who is righteous in the eyes of God unless they've trusted in Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ as their way to heaven. And then they have received the righteousness of God by faith in Christ. There's none righteous, no, not one. Now, if this is true, then what do we have to offer in the way of good works? You hear people today, well, you know, it's not, uh, Jesus is important, he's necessary, but you also have to do your part, okay? You're saying, here's the work of Jesus on the cross, and you're saying, well, that wasn't enough. I also must do other things too. I want you to hold your place and look with me to Isaiah chapter 64, Isaiah 64, look at verse 6. It says, but we are all as an unclean thing. And look at this next phrase. And all our righteousnesses, the best you can do, not the worst you can do, the best you can do. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Friend, the very best you can offer through your faithfulness, your righteousness, your good works, your reformation, your tears. Years ago, oh, I'll tell you, it just burned me up hearing it. I'm a preacher. The only language that God understands is the language of tears. Well, you know, that sounds really emotional and moving. But what is he saying? If you don't cry, God doesn't hear you? Where's that in the Bible? It's a foolish statement, and it just confuses people. No, simply put, God is looking for one thing for salvation. It is faith in Jesus Christ. It is faith 
in Jesus Christ. Anything we do, whether we we're well-meaning or not, no good works will save us. Okay, look at up here. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. Why? Because the best we can do are filthy rags in God's sight. Imagine taking filthy rags and saying, okay, I appreciate what Jesus did, but here's, here's my part. Here, here, God, take my filthy rags. It's an insult to him. Back to Romans 3. Romans 3 and verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. What does that mean? Oh, you know, the Calvinists, boy, they love that one. See that? There's none that seeketh after God. That's why God selects certain people. No, you're missing the whole point. There is none that seeks after God his way. Man wants his own way. That's the point. He wants his own way. Man is corrupt and cannot even seek after the Lord except the Lord convicts and draws him. I say, well, isn't that Calvinism? No, because this is exactly what the Lord is doing and has always done to all people. All people. Where's that in the Bible? I'm so excited you asked me that. Go with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. See, folks, Lincoln, I put it this way. God deals with sinners on an even playing field. Now, we're not on an even playing field with God. We're on an even playing field with each other. We're all in the same boat. There's none righteous, no, not one. We are corrupt. We're perverse. And we can't find our way. But there's somebody who's working on us. The same God who is our judge is the God who's working on us to bring us to himself. And he's doing it. Here's the good news. He's doing it for everyone. John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said this, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, he's talking about his crucifixion. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw how many men unto me? All men unto me. Okay, all men. He doesn't just draw some. He's drawing all. You might say, well, then why aren't all saved? Because they're rebels, Because they're resisting, as the Bible says. They resist the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Go a couple pages over to your right. John chapter 16. God is drawing us through creation, through the word of God, through conscience, through the cross of Jesus Christ, through the gospel. John 16, verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus is speaking. He says, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And of course, the comforter is the Holy Spirit. And when he has come, he will reprove. That's a King James word meaning convict. Convict. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now look, here's Jesus through his cross drawing all people to himself. Here's the Holy Spirit in the world convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, their need of a Savior. So it is through what God is doing men are being drawn 
No, if God wasn't drawing, man would just simply go his own way. If, if the witness of creation and the witness of scripture and conscience and so forth was not there, man would simply go his own way. That's true. But God says, I love you too much. I want you to be my child. And so he has set up these witnesses and these convictions to bring people to Christ. We have the responsibility to respond by faith. Back to Romans chapter 3. Getting the momentum again, beginning in verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Verse 12, they are all gone out of the way. They are all, they are together, become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You might say, well, wait, I know people that do good. Wait a minute. Do you remember what we saw in Isaiah? Your human righteousness is as filthy rags in God's sight. From God's perspective, you don't do good. It's not acceptable. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed innocent blood. By the way, there is no blood that is more innocent than that of an unborn child. Did you know that the perverse people in this world today are harvesting body parts from babies that are still alive? That is how far this is going. Yet you got people, well, I have faith in mankind. I have no faith in mankind outside of the grace of God. Folks, <laughs> that's what we're saying. There's none righteous, no, not one. We're all perverse, we're all corrupt, we're all sinners. I don't think I'm so bad. You are. You really are, and so am I. This is the message of the, the, of the word of God. Yet God loves us, and he wants us to be his children. This is the magnificence of the grace of God. Verse 16, destruction and misery are in their ways. Do we not see that today? I know Andy was talking about in Sunday school about how man is and how twisted his thinking is and how perverse and how evil let me tell you something. I never thought I'd ever be shocked by anything until I heard, I think it was a couple years ago, a year or two ago, where ISIS was taking people, putting them in cages and burning them alive over fires. That is so horrific and perverse and wicked. But you know what? That wickedness, that sinfulness, the capacity for that is in every one of us. And yet God loves us. And he wants us to be his child. Destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace have they not known. I think in verse 17, the way of peace they have not known. This not only is between men and men, but I believe within. People with no peace. People with no peace. And they don't know why. Verses 15 through 17, by the way, quote from Isaiah chapter 59 verses 7 and 8. Look at verse 18, Romans 3, 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Isn't that where we see it today in society? No fear of God. Well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. No? Well, if there's a God, let him strike me dead right now if there's a God. I'm waiting. Come on, God. I'm waiting. Now, I don't know about you. If I was around somebody like that, I'd just kind of step back a little bit, let him have his space, just in case. 
Okay. See that? There's no God, because if there was God, he would have struck me dead. No, friend, here's the thing. God doesn't jump at the requests of stupid people, of ignorant people, okay? Of carnal, rebellious people. He does not jump because you challenge him. He's already told us how it is and how it's going to be. It's all found right here. We need to have the respect for God and not think so highly of ourselves. But our pride has so blinded us that we can't even see our condition. And that's where the world finds itself. We are living in perilous times in our nation and in our world. There is no fear of God. People mock the God of the Bible and ridicule those of us who believe it. It's no surprise. God told us it would be that way. But now let's move on. Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, the self-righteous. I'm better than you. Or, well, I may not be perfect, but I'm not as bad as you are. Well, friend, the perfect standard is the word of God, the righteousness of God, and look what it says. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's why the Mosaic law was given. The law shows us we are sinners and therefore lost. The law is like a mirror. Okay, if, if this was a mirror and somebody says, you know, you got dirt on your face. Well, I don't, I don't believe you. Okay, you, get, you really do. You got dirt on your face. You ought, to, you ought to check it out. No, no, I'm fine. I washed this morning. I'm fine. No, you got dirt on your face. I don't believe you. Here's a mirror. Look. Oh, I guess I do. Now, how do you get it off? Well, you don't go, oh. (laughs) Try to get it off with a mirror. No, you go and you wash it off. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. It is through the blood of Christ. The law, the commandments, because we can't keep them, it shows we are lost. We're sinners in need of a savior. That is the purpose of the law. By the law is the knowledge of sin. See, if a man is guilty, he needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of us are guilty. Therefore, we all need the gospel. People who say, well, I don't need that stuff. We do evangelism at the fair. People go by, hey, would you like to take a spiritual viewpoint survey? Those of you who've been there with me, you know what I'm about to say. These people, it just irks me to no end. No, I'm good. No, you're not. Look at Romans 3. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. God says, you're guilty. You need Christ as your savior. No, I'm good. You see the blindness? The blindness. It ought to break our hearts. My friend, we all stand guilty before God and condemned, and the only way to be delivered from hell is through God himself, our Lord Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross, all right? Look over a couple pages over to chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, and I can't wait to get there in our study, but I'm enjoying where we're at as well. Romans 5 and verse 8, it says, but God commendeth, displayed his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, isn't that good news? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The sin we would be judged for, the sin we deserve to go to hell for. 
The sin that is ruining the world, Jesus 2,000 years ago went to the cross and he paid the penalty for every bit of it. Every bit of it, of every person who's ever lived or ever will live. And he rose from the grave to prove it. And he says, if you'll simply trust in him, he will give you everlasting life. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What a message that is. One more verse in closing. John chapter five in verse 24. Friend, yes, there's a lot of bad news, but there's good news. The good news is we don't have to end up in hell. Justly paying for the sin we've committed. We can put our faith in Christ and be passed from death unto life. John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, that means present tense right now, you have it, everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Let me say today, if you are here today or happen to be watching or listening, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, would you do that? right now? Would you do that right now? God is drawing you. God is wanting you to trust in his son. In his love, he has provided his own son. He sacrificed his own son so that you could go to heaven. And he's asking you to simply receive it by faith. Trust in Christ. He'll give you the gift of eternal life. Would you do that today? Would you trust Christ? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.